glad that you are here with us, those that are with us here on our campus, those that are with us online today. We welcome you, week number two of a new series that we are into called Next Steps, Next Steps. And uh, interesting that from the beginning of God's Word to the end, we are hearing about taking steps in our relationship with God. Last week we looked at a guy by the name of Enoch who is in Genesis chapter 5, and uh, basically Enoch was on earth for about a third of his ancestors, and the reason was because he walked so closely with God that God just said, hey, you know what, you're closer to me than you are your own home, why don't you come join me here? And he walked faithfully with God, and God took him home. And, and then we go to the New Testament, and we see where Paul the Apostle talks to us about the fact that we need to walk, and, and the word that he uses in the King James Version is circumspectly. But we, we walk. We walk with wisdom. We walk in faith. We take steps redeeming the time. We are, we're to be using our time effectively, and every moment we are to be walking with the Lord, taking steps in his direction. And the cool thing is when we step in his direction, he is always looking to take steps towards us. And uh, so today we're going to continue that series and we're actually going to kind of get back to the basics. We're going to get back to some basics of, of walking with God. And, and last night we were coming home from Ohio and, uh, and as we were, uh, Making our way home, uh, I said, you know, I've heard a lot about construction and, and stuff like that, so maybe we better GPS this. So Lori put it in on the GPS, and uh, I said, okay, let's just, let, let's follow. But every fiber of my being was like, no, this is wrong. This is the wrong direction, the wrong way. They, they had me going even in a direction that I knew was not the way that I needed to get home. But I followed those directions. And sure enough, it got me on the right road. And then, then my thought was, it's too simple. It's too simple. There's, there's something, something's not right here. Something's, something's a mistake. It's too simple. It, it needs to be a little more. I know there's congestion. I know there's construction. It's too simple. But I followed the directions, and I made my way home, and I got home in good time without any problem at all, because I listened to what was said, I read what was in front of me, and I just decided, I'm going to follow the directions. I'm going to follow the directions, and I made it home. I made it home. Here's the deal. In God's Word, sometimes we may look at it and think, yeah. Something's a mistake. Something's a little off here. This is not necessarily the direction. Or this is too simple. This is too simple. I, I, I need to be taking another route. And if we will follow the directions, if we will read what's in front of us, if we will listen to what God says, we will make it home. And not only that, we will make it in step with him in the direction that he has for us to go. So I want us to look at it today, uh, and, and I want us to, to follow along as we continue. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to read some verses that, for some of you, very familiar. It's the last thing that Jesus said in his earthly ministry here, and uh, so as, as we kicked into gear, if you were not here with us last week, just, just let me give you a quick refresher. We, we kind of introed this message in this series by talking about the fact that it was God the Creator who gives us the very breath that we breathe. He breathes into our lungs our very existence. It's God the Motivator that comes along to say, hey, I can change your thought process. I can change your attitude. And if you will work with me, and if you'll chip away all of the stuff that's not me, you will find yourself, because of a renewed mind 
in the center of my will. And it'll make a huge difference. And then God the producer who gives us the moments that even in the mundane moments, they can become the miraculous because he's the one that's producing them. And then what that shows us is that God is the director of our steps. God doesn't say, okay, you need to take these steps and you need to do it on your own. Instead, he directs our steps and he says, I want to come alongside you and I want to help you take these next steps. He talked to his disciples about the fact he wanted there to be a peace that passed all understanding in their lives. He wanted a joy for them that was just like his joy and would overflow. He wanted people to know them by their love, by the way that they loved. And he even called it a new commandment, which at first they were like, well, that doesn't sound new until he said this, love them the way I have loved you. Oh, well, that's a little different. And in fact, they would be, well, I don't think we can pull that off. And Jesus was like, exactly. You need more of me. In those steps, you need more Jesus to pull it off. So as we look today at this simple, well, a lot of people call it the Great Commission, but it is a simple commission that he gives to those who are followers of him. Notice what he says, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. In this commission, which was vitally important, it's the last thing that Jesus shares with his earthly disciples, and in so doing, he shares it with the generations of disciples that are to come. He says, here's what I need you to do. Go. That's the first. Go. A lot of times, and we're going to talk about the church today, but a lot of times in our church, we just kind of talk about stay. Stay. Just, just stay. And Jesus is like, no, go. Don't form a committee. Don't take a vote. Go. Get out there and share with people what you've heard, what you've seen, what you have learned from me. Make disciples. What were disciples? Followers of Jesus. And then he says, I want you to baptize those followers of me. Baptize those followers. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and in case you're wondering, I will be with you all the time. I'll be with you to the end of the age. How many, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have thought, in the past 15 months, oh boy, the world's coming to an end. And Jesus is like, it's cool. I'm here. I'm with you to the end of the age. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. But here is the other thing that I think he wanted to get across. When you go to make a difference in your world, when you go to make followers, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not taking these steps by yourself. I'm with you. So what were those steps? I'm going to give them to you today. Three steps. Very quick. We're not going to stay here a long time. I, I just want to share these with you. These are, these are the simple instructions. Follow the GPS. And we may say it's too simple. It's not. It's simple on purpose. It's simple for a reason. God wants to keep it simple enough that children could understand it. So what does he say? First thing is this, believe. Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Believe. 
believe. Believe. Here's the words of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. For in Scripture it says, what's he talking about? Old Testament. <clears throat> Old Testament Scripture. In Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Now, we might read that and think, well, what's he talking about? Is it an amethyst? Is it a diamond? Is it topaz? Is it an emerald? No, the Old Testament prophets talked about a cornerstone that would be laid in Zion. And the cornerstone wasn't an it. The cornerstone was a him. It was a he. It was a person. It was Jesus. And Peter says this cornerstone that was talked about in the Old Testament has come and those who trust in him will never be put to shame. To you who believe, this stone is precious. The words of Paul, words that we share nearly every Sunday. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What do you have to do? You got to believe. You've got to believe. How about the words of John? John takes it another step. John, who had already read the words of Matthew as he described the Christmas story, and he saw from Matthew's perspective as he gives the genealogy of the family history and Matthew gives the perspective of the wise men who made such a long journey. He's already read the words of Luke, who probably got most of his story from Mary. And he's seen the journey that Joseph and Mary made to Bethlehem and the shepherds, their depiction of Christmas. And now he is trying to figure out, what do I put down for those who have listened to me, for those churches that I have been in, that I've planted, that I've pastored, what do I share? And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says, the Word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And he gets down to verse number 12. And of course, he wasn't numbering anything. But it gives us a little bit of perspective for our opportunity to look at it. And he writes, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I love the King James Version because it says, to them he gave the power to become children of God. Do you see the progression from the disciple named Peter? The one that Jesus actually set apart and said, you know what, on the truth of the message that has been revealed to you, I'm going to build my church. And actually, Peter, you're going to kick it off for me. And Peter says, if you believe, you can set aside your shame. And Peter, he's got the testimony to back it up, doesn't he? Trust me. Trust me. If you put your faith and trust in him, you set aside your shame. Because I've been there. I was in the boat. I listened to him teach. And then he said, hey... How about if we take your boat out and get a few more fish? And I had just finished cleaning my nets, and I was like, really? But I was so intrigued by what he said. I agreed. We hadn't caught anything all night. And then he says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? He said, we caught so many fish, I had to call over James and John to help. And they caught so many fish. By the time we began heading for shore, our boats began to sink. 
Now, I don't know about, I don't know how you visualize Jesus. I mean, maybe in your theology, Jesus is, I personally think he's cracking up when this happens. I just think Jesus is laughing. As these guys struggle to get these boats to shore, they've never caught this many fish before. And Peter falls to his knees and he says, Lord, you got to get out of my boat. I don't deserve you. And Jesus kneels down to him and says, Peter, how about if you forget about fishing for fish and let's go fish for people. And for the next three years, Peter would be right there by his side. Only in the time when he needed him most to slip up and fall miserably. Even after Jesus warned him personally, Peter would fail. And yet, when Jesus rose from the dead, what did he say? Go tell my disciples. Oh, and mention it to Peter. And he would give him a chance to affirm his love three times. And it would be Peter in Acts chapter 2 who would preach that message on the day of Pentecost. That was Peter. Peter says, I know what I'm talking about. Paul would ramp it up. Paul would say, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Saved from what, Paul? <laughs> saved from yourself. Saved from your sin. Saved from your past. I was making my way to Damascus to do more damage to the church to cause conflict to the name of Christ. And in his grace and his mercy, he saved me from myself, from my sin for all eternity. He gave me a, a new name. He made me a new creation. He saved me. And that's what happens when you believe. And John, John would take it one step further. John this one of whom it is written, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. One of those top three in the inner circle of Jesus. John, who would be given the revelation of what was to come, John would say, if you believe, you're not only set your shame apart, aside, you're not only saved, you are given power. You are given the right to be called a child of God, and it changes the way you walk. Amen. Changes the way you walk. What about Jesus? Jesus himself would have a conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And this Pharisee would come at night because he didn't want his friends to know he was coming. But he would come to say to Jesus, look, we've seen what's happening. We've heard what you have to say. And there are some of us who know you are from God, but we just can't figure it all out. And Jesus would say to him in verse 3 of John chapter 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus, a very learned man, says, How can I be born again? Look at me. I'm a pretty big guy. My mom had enough trouble the day I was born. It's not going to happen again. And Jesus says, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. I'm not talking about a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. You must be born again. Do not marvel when I say you must be born again. How's that happen? Jesus takes Nicodemus back to what he knows. What he knows is Old Testament. What he knows is the law. And he takes him back to the days of Moses. And in those days, the Israelites had disobeyed, had complained, had gone against what God desired. And God was like, you know what? I'm getting kind of tired of you people. All of a sudden, these snakes come out of the desert. And if they bit them, they're dead. And Moses implores of God and says, God, you don't want to destroy your people this way. Word's going to get back to Egypt. He says, lift up your staff. And when he does, it becomes a bronze serpent. He says, anybody that looks at that serpent will be saved. 
And Jesus takes Nicodemus back to what he knows. He says, remember Moses? Remember how he lifted up the serpent? And when the people looked at the serpent raised high, they were saved. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Doesn't Jesus take it up another notch? I mean, we have gone from losing our shame to being saved from our past, our bad decisions, our wrong, our sin, ourselves. To be given power in this life and then Jesus ramps it up and he says those that believe, they never die. They live forever. And now John looking back on that conversation, he again, how do I mold this so the people coming after me will understand? And he gives to us those incredible words that many of you memorized maybe even as a little child. For God so loved the world, it says in verse 16, that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes. Whoever believes. There's got to be more to it than that, right? It can't just be about belief. There's got to be something else. What am I missing? It's too simple. Jesus would actually tell his disciples, guys, I'll tell you what, you actually need to become like these little children. Stop adding to it. Believe. 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 And you will be saved. For God did not send his son into the world, it says in verse 17, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He didn't send us his son into the world to condemn the world. If there was anyone who could condemn the world, it would have been the perfect son of God. But if he didn't, then what in the world gives us the right to think we can He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Maybe that's why Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and condemn them. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Get them to believe. Get them to follow me. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Don't add anything to it. The work's already been accomplished. The grace has already been given. All you have to do is accept it. Believe. Believe, believe. James, the half-brother of Jesus, the church has started in Acts, and all of a sudden there's a gathering. The apostles, other disciples and followers of Jesus, leaders in the church, they're all gathered here. Paul is there. Barnabas is there. And the problem is that some... On the outer region, some of the Jews have decided they're going to add something in. Well, you know, I, I, we, we're going along with this Jesus thing. We, we, we've seen that. We understand it. But we've got to add some of this Jewish stuff in. We've got to add some, some of the, the old world tradition, right? And they kind of get into a pretty good discussion about it. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, he stands up and he says... It's my judgment. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is just my opinion, guys, but, but I'm of the opinion that we, we shouldn't make it hard for people who want to turn to God. Don't make it difficult. 
my, my half-brother made it pretty simple. And I rejected it until I saw him alive after the crucifixion. After I had seen my mother fall apart. After they had buried him. And in his grace and his mercy, he showed up to his younger brother who had given him a lot of grief. And he didn't go, na 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 na. He said, Now do you believe? Let's not make it difficult. Believe. Here's, here's the second thing. The second thing he said was what? Baptize them. You got to believe. But then you got to baptize. Now let me share with you a few things. Number one, baptism is not salvation. Let me say that to you again. Baptism is not salvation. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There is nothing you and I can do to achieve salvation. It's already been done. We just have to believe it and receive it. Baptism is not salvation. I'll give you another reason why baptism is not salvation. Luke chapter 23, the crucifixion of Jesus. On either side of him are two criminals. Two guys that deserve to die. One of them says to Jesus, hey, if you really are who they say you are, how about you jump down? And in so doing, take us with you. But the other criminal says, why are you talking to him like that? You and I deserve to die, but he doesn't deserve this. And then, in verse 42, he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, let me add something parenthetically, okay? This doesn't have nearly as much to do with the message, but it's an interesting thought. Commas are pretty important in our language. If you take that comma that's right after you and you move it to today, you have a totally different sentence, don't you? Truly I tell you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. The today refers to the statement being made by Jesus, not the fact that he would be with him in paradise that very day. But most theologians, down through history, the history of the church, say, nope, the comma goes right there. Truly I tell you, comma, today you'll be with me in paradise. What was he saying? When this life is over, your new life begins. That's why the Apostle Paul could write and say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Because it would happen for a guy who had no time, no time for any good works. He didn't even have a chance for baptism, did he? But yet Jesus said, today, you'll be with me. Baptism is not salvation. Here's the second thing. Baptism is not dedication. Baptism is not dedication. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. Eight days after his birth, this is the end of the Christmas story. And it says, he was named Jesus. 
Why did they name him eight days later? Because they were getting ready to take him to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. In fact, a guy by the name of Simeon who had looked for the coming of the Messiah. He was granted that request by God and he was able to hold that little baby in his arms and know that his Redeemer had come. And baptism is not dedication. Baptism is an illustration. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, I don't know about you, but if there was anyone who didn't need to be baptized, I mean, am I right? Wouldn't it have been Jesus? He didn't need to be baptized, but yet he, he was baptized. Why? Because he knew. Now, when it was time to go back to the Father, he would say to his disciples, go and make disciples and baptize them. And in case they need an example to follow after, here I am. Follow my example. Follow my illustration. Here I am. There is no greater example, no greater illustration of the need for baptism than Jesus himself. And notice something else. Jesus was 30 years old when he got baptized. There is no record. There are no stories in the gospel of children being baptized. And, and here's why this is important. Because a lot of times, adults will say, well, I'm baptized because that's just for kids. Well, you'll have a hard time convincing Jesus of that one. He was a grown man. And what you find is that as soon as they were saved, as soon as they believed, oftentimes they were baptized. Why? Why is that so important? Because it is, catch this now, it is an outward symbol of an inward decision. Okay? An outward symbol of an inward decision. So if you have made the decision to believe, that's between you and God, isn't it? But when someone gets baptized, that's saying to the world, I am with Christ. I'm with Jesus. I'm with him. I, in fact, have been set apart. And that's another thing that baptism is. Baptism is not just an illustration. Baptism is sanctification. Sanctification means you're set apart. And when we are baptized, we are set apart. Now, do I think that there is something supernatural that happens when you come up out of the water? No. No. I don't. Okay, I don't, I don't think you're going to come up out of the water and you're going to be like, oh, I feel so different. Now, maybe you will. Maybe that's what God will do. I don't know, but I, that, that didn't happen to me. What is it? It's another step of faith. It's the next step. And what is it that pleases God? Our faith. Our faith. How do we baptize? We baptize by immerse, immersing. Why? Because the Gospels tell us that when Jesus came up out of the water. So again, I'm just throwing this out there. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Okay? John didn't take a cup of water, you know, in a red cup and pour it over his head. This was full on in the water up. Why? Why? What's the illustration? Buried with him. Dead because of our sins, right? But raised to new life in Christ. And when you come up out of that water, it is as if 
you are symbolically being raised with a risen Christ. The old has passed away, all things become new, is how Paul would put it. Paul got saved on the Damascus Road. What happened? He was baptized. There was a, an Ethiopian making his way through the Judean countryside and a guy by the name of Philip met up with him. He just by chance happened to be reading Isaiah and Philip explained to him what that meant. And right there in that moment, that Ethiopian accepted Christ. And Philip said, hey, how about you get baptized? And they found a pond, a lake, a river. I don't know what it was, but he was baptized. And for some of you, the next step in your walk of faith is baptism. Baptism. It is that step. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, You were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Peter said when he got done preaching that message on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he says, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, by the way, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words, it said, pierced their heart. And so they asked the disciples and Peter, what do we do? And Peter said, each of you needs to repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized. He said, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise isn't just, is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away. Geographically, chronologically, they all get this promise. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They believed and they were baptized. And that, that's the order in Scripture. Sometimes we get that a little confused. Well, I was baptized and then I believed. But you can't find that in the New Testament. You believe and then you're baptized. You say, well, I was baptized as a baby. I was Anything wrong with that? Nope. No. God bless you. God bless your parents who were following what they felt was, but here's the deal. In Acts, they believed, and then they were baptized. She's like, yeah, Billy, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm kind of older. I'm... You know, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Let me just tell you something. I'm just throwing this out there. We haven't lost one yet, okay? I'm just, I'm throwing it out, all right? We have not, we have not lost one yet, okay? Neither me nor, nor Pastor Dan. We're, we're, we're still batting a thousand. Now, that's by the grace of God, I'm sure, but I'm just throwing it out there. Hey, here's the awesome thing. We've ordered a baptistry. We got a baptistry that's coming, and that's part of our Easter offering, and praise God for that. So it will be here in a few weeks, and I'm looking forward to sharing in a baptism service. There's a number of you, and I remember the day that you were baptized. I remember when Tom stepped into the pool at the Y and was baptized. Yep. You know, we got a, we got a young man down there in the Koinonia room conducting a a Spanish-speaking service. I remember the day when his whole family stepped into that same pool at the Y. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, I'll get baptized at the Y. Let's go. Yeah, no. We want to get our own baptistry and start doing it again here. And we're looking forward to that. And we're looking forward to having it on a Sunday morning. We're looking forward to maybe doing a Sunday night where it's just baptism. We do it out in the great room. We'll have pizza afterwards, all that kind of thing. I think it's a party. I think it's a celebration. Okay, we're not putting any lemon juice or prune juice into the baptism waters, okay? You don't come out of there going, walking around like you've been baptized in lemon juice. No, you have been baptized in the waters that follow the example of Jesus himself. The first time I was able to baptize, I do remember this. The first time I, as a pastor, baptized, my dad was in the room. And here's the thing you have to understand. My dad was deathly afraid of the water. Couldn't swim. 
Okay? He was so afraid of the water that when he became the pastor and he had to baptize for the first time, there was a deacon outside one door of his office and another deacon outside the other door of his office. They were convinced he was going to run. They really were. <laughs> they were like, he'll never make it through this. But he did. And I remember the first time I got ready to baptize, I was a little nervous. I'd never done this before. And my dad said to me, think about this, 2,000 years ago. Guys by the name of Peter and John... Paul, Timothy, they were doing what you get the chance to do right now. Ha oh, ha, come on. And we're still doing it today as an example of who? Jesus himself. How awesome is that? And here's the third thing, and we got to get done because we've got a lunch that they're preparing for right now. The third thing is they belong. They belong. You, you believe, you're baptized, you belong. It says that 3,000 were added to their number. What does that mean? The church. They became part of the early church. Every letter, nearly every letter that Paul writes, he writes to a church. There was a church in Ephesus. There was a church in Thessalonica. There was a church in Colossae. There was a church in Philippi. And all of them had people who had believed and were baptized and became part of of the church. In fact, Paul would say in Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 9, he said, James, half-brother of Jesus, Cephas, that was another name for Peter, okay, Cephas and John, he said, those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. I, you know, when I was a kid, oh, who am I kidding? When I was 20, I thought the right hand of fellowship was just something, you know, Baptists had made up 300 years ago or something. No, it's right there. It's in Galatians. Paul says we were given the right hand of fellowship. They weren't sitting around a table and passing out rings for a journey with Bilbo and Frodo. This was a fellowship that they could belong to, that they could become a part of. And Paul says, here I am, just a young believer. And these pillars of the church reached out and extended a hand to me to say, welcome. And the church needs to be a place of belonging. Now you say this, well, can I come to church and not be baptized? Yes. Can I get involved in church and not be a member of the church? Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Then why the emphasis? Because that's the way they did it. And I can't really beat what Peter and Paul and Jesus himself came up with. And if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Now, now, some of you might even say, okay, now, Billy, you said something though about children being baptized. I was a child when I got baptized. So was I. So was I. If a child is old enough to understand that they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's the next step. That is the next step for them. In fact, we have a couple of young people who just a couple of weeks back on Sunday morning in their class down the hall accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And their next step, they're already talking about, when can we get baptized? As soon as we get a baptismal. <laughs> That's when. As soon as we get one. So, can children? Yes. But here's the deal. Billy, I'm an adult. Can I get baptized? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus was. In fact, we've had some people that have said, you know what? I was baptized when I was younger. Can I do it again? Yeah, why not? Because what you're doing, you're dedicating yourself. You're like, you know what? There's been a little bit of life past. I got a little more understanding of what's going on now. And I want that same feeling again. I, I want to experience that again. I, I want to take that next step. And I would urge you, whatever the next step is, it's too simple. And for some of you, it's like, yeah, it kind of seems like I'm actually going in the wrong direction. Nope. You're not. It's what scripture talks about. 
We are Calvary Church. We're Calvary Church on purpose, okay? Uh, because there are a lot of people that come in to, they hear the word Baptist. Some of them might even be your friends. And there is just like a, they are nervous. There is something even, I mean, we've had people who have said, you know what I really thought when I walked in, I was going to get struck with lightning because I was walking into that Baptist. So we, we want to make this, but at the same time, may I say, we are a Baptist church. Okay, if my dad were here, he would say, uh, we are Baptist, born and bred. When I die, I'm Baptist dead, I think was the phrase that he used. <laughs> He's strong that way. Okay, why? Why, 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 why? Biggest reason is what we just talked about. We, we believe in baptism. And, and because of everything that's happened in the past year, and because we haven't had a baptism, a baptismal, it's, it's been kind of easy to kind of pull back from that message a bit, but there is nothing better. Except for the salvation of souls, there is nothing better than seeing people step into the waters of baptism and take that next step and say to the world, I have trusted Christ. And if you're a baptized believer, then maybe the next step for you is to belong to a congregation. Each church that Paul wrote to, they had their own accountability, responsibility, but also comfortability. I want Calvary to be a place where you walk in the door and you just kind of go, <sighs> you breathe. Remember those commercials where you drank the iced tea and you fell back into a pool? <laughs> it's just like, oh, refreshing. The church needs to be a place of that refreshing. You need to sense, we're all, here's the deal. You may think, man, I'm going through some stuff. Yeah, I know you are. Look around. Every face in here is going through something. And if they're not, they have been. We're all going through stuff. Right? Everybody's been through stuff this past year. What a year it's been. Talking to one of the funeral directors, Dan, Dan and I were talking at a funeral with one of the directors. He said, hardest year I've ever had. I've been doing this for 20, 25 years. Hardest year I've ever had. Everybody's going through something. The church needs to be a place where you come and you can just kind of breathe easy. And you can't. You can. But maybe for some of you, there's that next step. Would you at least talk to God about that? Give him a chance to speak to your heart. And if there's any part of it that we can play, man, we so want to do it. Especially, though, today, if you have somehow missed out on that first point. Because that's the key. Believe. When you believe, that's when you're saved. And that's the message, the gospel message that we must preach and teach and share until the end of the age. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Maybe you're here today with us. Maybe you're online watching with us today. And there's never been that moment when you have made that decision to believe. In fact, for some of you, you might be like, you know, I, I do believe that. that. That's what my heart says. But there's never been that moment where Paul talked about confessing with our mouth what we believe in our heart. That's why we lead people in a prayer each Sunday to make that decision. That's what personalizes it. When you pray and you ask Christ to come into your heart forgive your sin and save your soul and he makes you a new creation on the spot and if that's your decision today if that's what you want to if that's what you want to claim if that's the decision you want to make i want to lead you in this prayer it is a simple prayer of confession 
confessing what you believe in your heart. But if that's you, then I want you to simply pray this prayer in your heart after me. Lord Jesus, I do believe that you love me, that you came and died and rose again for me. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, forgive my past. I make you the Lord of my life for Jesus' sake. If you're here with us today and you prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand and then put it down? Just say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. God bless you. Just put it down. That's me. I prayed that prayer and I invited Christ to come into my life. God bless you. If you're watching with us online, there's a little tab that came up that says, today I accepted Christ as my Savior. Would you hit that button? Just hit that. I'm not even going to know your name, but your heavenly Father does. And he is rejoicing with you today in the decision that you made. Here's what I want you to do in just a minute. Eric's going to come and make some announcements for us. And one of the first announcements he'll make is giving you a phone number that you can connect with Calvary. You can just text it. And today, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, would you just text that? In fact, you can just text the word SAVED today to that number. We want to rejoice with you in the decision that you made. Father, thank you for meeting with us here today. I pray, Lord, that, that you'll take your word, which we have shared, and I just pray, Lord, that it'll make a difference in people's lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the strength that they need. Help us to know we don't take these next steps alone. We take them with you. We take them in your strength. We take them with your courage. We take them by faith knowing that you bless as we continue in our relationship with you. And we thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the simplicity of your word. Lord, use it to speak to our souls even throughout the rest of this week in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 amen.